Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. We've been going through a series for several weeks now called Discipline Now. And discipline is sacrificing right now for the benefit of yourself and others later. I've been reading a book by a man named R. Kent Hughes, The Disciplines of a Godly Man, and that certainly provided a lot of inspiration for this series. And I recommend the book, and it is geared specifically towards men. I was listening to Jocko Wilnick um, the other day, and he was saying some similar things about discipline being something that benefits yourself and others. And I thought, well, maybe he's been listening to the podcast. Probably not, but he's a former military guy, so he'd definitely have some similar thoughts. Um, We would share some thoughts. Today, we're talking about the discipline of piety. And there are other words that probably would work to describe the area of discipline that we're talking about today, but I chose uh, piety specifically um, because I like the word, um, partly because it's memorable and partly because it's good to stretch my vocabulary. There is devotion, humility, meditation, adoration, reverence that all come together under the discipline of piety. And piety is practicing the disciplines that make up the act of committing ourselves to God and living his way. And piety is an older word that's kind of got out of fashion, I suppose. And the simple definition is the quality of being religious or reverent. It is being faithful to natural obligations. It brings to mind living in accordance with the Ten Commandments, things like that. Um, honoring your your mother and your father is being faithful to natural obligations. But there's also a piety that is defined as a belief which is accepted with unthinking conventional reverence. And the word unthinking there is a bit of a sticking point, I suppose, but it's it's not wrong either. Unthinking doesn't mean blind faith or a belief without thought and reason. There are some things we do just because they're the right thing to do. And that's kind of how I would define that um, unthinking conventional reverence. Um, some beliefs we hold that you know are generally respected and accepted and agreed upon that we don't necessarily think that much about. And the debate surrounding that particular belief has been settled for a long time and now it's accepted without having to put a lot of energy into thinking about it and reasoning it out every time it comes up because that's already been done. Uh, A biblical example of that would be salvation by grace through faith. When you trust Jesus as your Savior, you are saved. His substitutionary atonement makes that possible. And that's a belief that is respected, accepted, and agreed upon by Christians in general. And it's been settled for a long time. We don't need to keep revisiting that every time we think about it. We accept it without having to think about it because the thinking has already been done. Occasionally, a group may say something that disagrees with that. No, you must work to gain God's acceptance. Um, And that's something that Paul dealt with a lot in the New Testament. But because that has been settled for a very long time, things that are contrary to that can be dismissed without much thought or debate. And there are many beliefs in culture that are accepted with unthinking conventional reverence, things we 
don't even think about. We just accept them and respect them. Something like, for Christians especially, participating in religious practice, going to church on Sunday, we don't necessarily wake up on Sunday morning and reason it out and think about why it's important that I go to church today and weigh the reasons as to why I should go to church today. It's something that's already been settled. It's something that's accepted um, with conventional reverence or marriage or the family unit, education. All of those things are accepted. We understand they're good and we don't necessarily have to think about why because it's just already known. But here's a problem that comes with that. Because those things have been accepted for so long, the understanding of why they matter tends to fade. And that can lead people to question the validity of those things because they don't know why they matter. And we see a lot of that in culture today, people questioning the validity of some long-standing social institutions and things like that because um, they've been accepted and understood for so long that why they matter has, has kind of faded and people don't necessarily understand why they matter. And when something that has been accepted and respected for so long comes under scrutiny, it's difficult to articulate why that thing is important and why it does matter. It's hard to explain to someone why something that has been well-established for hundreds of years, maybe even millennia, uh, it can be difficult to explain why that matters and what it means to culture and society. In society. The value and importance of something like marriage can be difficult to articulate to others because the institution of marriage has been accepted as valuable and important for a very long time. We don't really think about it, even though we enjoy the benefits of it. And if you live in a civilized society, you enjoy the benefits of the marriage covenant. And that marriage covenant is found at the very beginning of the Bible. And it is a foundational bedrock institution of civilized society. Without it, society will begin to unravel and ultimately people will suffer. And when I was a kid, it seems to be about the time that a lack of marriage and divorce began to be widely accepted. And it's a slow decay when it comes to something like marriage or other social institutions. You know, you can pick, well, pick anyone you like, but it's a slow decay. It's kind of a frog in the pot scenario. Um, it's accepted, it's understood, it's established why it's important. But then over time, that importance kind of fades in the minds of people. And the reason why it matters tends to fade in the minds of people. And when a frog is in a pot and you turn, he's in a pot of water and you turn the heat on, the frog doesn't notice the change, but the rising temperature will eventually kill the frog. And a lack of unthinking conventional reverence for the marriage covenant uh, has become a problem. That's, that's just one example of many. But because people don't necessarily understand why it matters, they don't necessarily uh, understand why it's important that, or they don't understand that the marriage covenant is a foundational part of civilized society, and that if we don't respect that and protect it as a culture, uh, society will deteriorate. That's what will happen. But 
it's a problem in secular culture, but the reality is, is that respect and reverence for the marriage covenant is a problem among Christians too. Um, you know, a lot of Christians have been divorced multiple times. They live together. They do all these different things without being married. Um, and I don't say that to be accusatory or beat people up. I don't mean that at all. And I don't want anybody to feel that way, but I do hope to bring some awareness and self-reflection to something like the covenant of marriage. And also, I don't deny that there's been a lot of silly things, rubbish that has been hung on marriage that is not Christian. And it's also not unreasonable to in question um, the importance of marriage and, you know, ask, why does this matter? And maybe there's something about it that could be done better, or maybe there's something that does need to change. I've heard of pastors telling people they should stay married no matter what. And that's not always true. But if society allows the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman to be devalued and disregarded, we do so at our own peril. And to think otherwise is short-sighted and ignorant. But if I say to someone, okay, if we devalue and disregard the marriage covenant, society is, is going to suffer. We do so at our own peril. Things will begin to unravel at the seams. If I say that, people are going to say, what do you mean? You're crazy. That's not going to happen. I don't see how that's even possible. That's because the value and what that contributes to culture has faded over time. And we've forgotten the meaning of it and how much it does matter and what it does mean to us. And to explain in a few brief sentences why we should respect marriage and how it's going to hurt us if we don't is not an easy thing to do. If someone says, I don't think marriage matters, it's not easy to explain in a few minutes what has been established for millennia. And that's how I do explain a belief which is accepted with unthinking conventional reverence. And that's not an easy thing to do. But then we come to the discipline of piety, which shares some similarities. The value of piety has faded. The use of the word has faded. Our understanding of the importance of piety has faded. Why does it matter? Matter of fact, why do any of these disciplines that we're talking about matter? Hopefully we're um, explaining some of that through this series. To practice piety is something that takes discipline. It takes time to understand the importance of it. it takes discipline and time. It's more than a simplistic step-by-step process. It involves attitudes, emotions, and decisions along with the disciplines involved with it and the process of it. And one of the activities involved in the discipline of piety is prayer. And the amount most Christian men pray is very little to not at all. And I've mentioned prayer as part of this because it is part of the discipline of piety, but prayer is going to get its own dedicated time because it's more than just a subheading. It's more important and it's bigger than that. So we'll get to that one next, uh, probably next week. But last week we talked about how it is impossible to possess a disciplined Christian mind without consuming scripture. It just can't happen. It will not happen. It's not going to happen if you don't put 
Christian things in your mind. There's just no way around that. And in the Psalms, the very first Psalm, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, David writes this. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. There's a few key points to bring out in those verses that will give us a better understanding of where we're going with this. And the first one is, is that very first word that begins the entire book of Psalms is, is blessed or blessed. And very basically, that word means happy. And that word is also a plural interjection. Now, an interjection is a word that shows sudden emotion or strong feeling. If I say, wow, that's great. Wow is an interjection. In our language, we use the terms singular and plural. Singular is one, plural is two or more. In Hebrew, there is singular, which is one, dual, which we don't use, but Hebrew does, which is two, and plural, which is three or more. And the word blessed being a plural interjection means triple happy is the man who does not do the things in Psalm 1, verse 1. But his delight, verse 2 goes on to say, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. I'm sure you've noticed in scripture, there are many passages that say something along the lines of, do this, not that. Uh, you know, we're, and the fact is, is that we are always doing something. Our mind is always chewing on something. We're always busy with something. To stop completely, to shut off your brain completely, and not do anything at all, um, I would say is probably just about impossible. So if we're going to not do something, we can't just stop doing that thing and leave the space open because that space will be filled with something. So we need to fill that void left by doing something else. If I'm going to stop doing something or not do something, I must discipline myself to put something else in that space. So in Psalm 1, there are several things the exceptionally happy man doesn't do, sit in the seat of scoffers and so on. But instead, he finds his delight in God's word and he meditates in it both day and night. To find that delight in meditation, is it's kind of like exercise, like going to the gym. Getting started requires discipline, but the more you do it, the more you enjoy it. And David calls the exercise of being in God's word meditation. The discipline of piety requires meditation. And meditation is engaging your mind with scripture thinking about it, concentrating on it, not like the Eastern style of transcendental meditation where you empty your mind out. This is different than that. This is engaging your mind, filling it with scripture, concentrating on it. You can't just empty your mind, but you can choose what to fill it with. That's the discipline of meditation. That involves hearing scripture, whether you're listening to it or reading it to yourself Meditation means hearing it. And I'll be the first to admit that there are times when I have been reading a book, reading my Bible, whatever, and I read a couple of chapters 
And then I stop and I think, and I have no idea what I just read because my mind was wandering and, and thinking on something else. And that's not hearing. You know, a wife says to her husband, you weren't listening to anything I said, were you? And then the husband says, well, that's a strange way to start a conversation. See, that's not hearing. Hearing the scripture is not only allowing it to resonate on your eardrums, but allowing it to resonate in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. Because we can hear about what the Bible says, and we can even practice things that the Bible says, but still not hear what it says. Hearing Scripture means being open to God's Word, approaching it with fresh ears, setting aside preconceived notions and perceptions, and listening for what God has to say. That's meditation. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, that can actually be a challenge because often when we read a passage in the Bible, we think, well, I've read this before. I know what it says. But meditating on it is approaching it with fresh ears, setting aside our preconceived notions, and listening for what God has to say. There was a footnote about the word meditation in one of the books I was studying that said, in, the, in regards to what David writes in Psalm 1, meditation means that he ponders by talking to himself. So David ponders the scripture and talks to himself about it both day and night. He mutters it. And maybe I'm weird because I talk to myself all the time. I sometimes embarrass myself because I talk to myself so much. And I did an overnight backpacking trip this past week and I was walking out along the trail and I was talking to myself and I look up and there's an older couple standing there just kind of watching me. And that kind of thing is not unusual for me. Uh, but the stutter reminds me that there are things I should be talking to myself about. You know, I'm I'm a person who's going to be talking to myself. I need to decide what I'm going to talk about and talk about the right things. And that's a great reason to memorize a few favorite verses so you can always have them to recall and recite out loud. And this is another one of those things that the importance of it probably kind of fades away for a lot of people. This is another one of those things when you think about meditating on Scripture day and night and, and always having it in my mind and, and talking about it and talking to myself about it. This is another one of those things that someone might say, well, why does this matter? You know, why, what benefit is there to this? Well, here's why. Meditating on God's Word by hearing and repeating it improves your mental health, your physical health, and your spiritual health. And I know I've said this before, you know, right now culture is very concerned about mental health, which is great. I've studied that a lot. People are concerned about physical health, which is great. But spiritual health, a lot of people don't have much understanding of that. But meditating on God's word refreshes you. It helps you mentally and physically and spiritually. It's good food for your soul. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It changes you. Psalm 119, verses 97 and 98 say, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments have made me wiser than my enemies, for they are continually with me. And as we've read these verses, you may have noticed that we've been given a time frame for meditating on God's word, for hearing it, for repeating it all the day, 
both day and night. The psalmist writes that the, the commandments of God are continually with him. We should have a time each day where we specifically spend time in prayer and we hear God's word, we read it, we listen to it. And that's the fuel for the day that leads to meditation both day and night. Because obviously we can't sit at our breakfast table with a cup of coffee and read our Bible and pray all day. We, we have lives to live. We have kids to get to school. We have jobs to do. But what we can do is give ourselves the fuel that we need to meditate all day, both night and day, on God's Word. The discipline of piety requires meditation, and it also requires the practice of adoration. Adoration is a deep love and respect for God, a conscious reverence for God. A mind that is engaged in meditation will develop that. It will develop reverence. It will develop adoration. We develop reverence and adoration through worship and making worship our goal. And these are all things that we decide to discipline ourselves to do. In Revelation chapter 4, is a scene of worship in heaven. And you might make a note of that later, Revelation chapter four, and go back and read it and take some time to meditate on it. But this is what it says. It says, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. You are worthy, O Lord. That's at the heart of worship. Worship is our effort to contemplate the worth of God and our effort to attribute worth to God. And one way to do that is to contemplate God's greatness through his creation. We live busy lives and we're somewhat boxed in by that. It's good for us to make the effort to consciously step away from man-made things to contemplate God's glory that is displayed in his creation. And that doesn't have to be an extreme thing. It might be something as simple as your backyard or a trip to the park, but it's important to contemplate and attribute worth to God and his creation is a very good place to do that. And another way to contemplate God's greatness is to contemplate the acts of God. There are so many different times in the Bible where God performed supernatural acts and suspended the laws of nature. You think about in the beginning when God spoke creation into existence, when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, the pillar of fire in the wilderness, when God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, the transfiguration, when Jesus walked on water, when he fed people, when he healed people, and of course, his resurrection. The discipline of piety involves taking the time to contemplate those things, to contemplate the acts of God. Imagine being there, you know, thinking about what you would see, what you would hear, what that would be like. And then finally, the discipline of piety requires capitulation. And sometimes when someone uses the word pious, it's used in a negative way to describe hypocrisy or false humility. And that, that is a very real danger. But when we practice the discipline of piety by doing the things we have spoken about, prayer, 
meditation, contemplation, adoration, and capitulation of, of giving up the struggle against God. When we do those things, God increases and we decrease. God becomes more. And if we're going to worship and practice reverence and adoration, we must capitulate our will to God's will. We must stop fighting and cease to resist him. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Present your life as a living sacrifice. Not a dead one, a living one. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. And he gave himself to God as a living sacrifice. You know, Jonah is uh, an interesting example of capitulation. It took a fair bit, uh, but he finally decided to submit to what God had for him and turn that over to him. In our lives, we tend to compartmentalize our lives. And we give some parts to God and some we tuck away and keep for ourselves. We let some people see parts of us, but we hide other parts of us. And I'd like you to think about this. What part of your life are you holding back from God? What is it that you haven't given up the struggle for yet? What do you need to submit to God? What do you need to turn over to Him so that you can practice the discipline of piety. Where do you need to stop rebelling? Where is it that you're struggling with that? What have you compartmentalized? What are you hiding? What are you keeping? What are you struggling with? That you need to stop struggling with God in that area. What is it that you need to give up to Him? Here's something, an exercise for you to do if you'd like to give it a try. Pray about one area that you are holding back from God, something you've compartmentalized, something you've built some walls around that you're hiding, that you're keeping for yourself, that you're keeping from God. Just one area, you know, one thing. Think of one thing, pray about it, ask God to show you what that is. And then take the time to define that, to define it well as best you can. And then determine how you can turn that over to God. Make a plan that you can put into action and then do it. Discipline yourself to do it. Practice the discipline of piety. Well, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to listen and tune in. And if you think this might be helpful um, for someone, please share it with them. That's why it's here, is to hopefully provide some someone with something that is useful. So thank you for taking the time to listen, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon.